Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to another installment of Through the Wealth Lens. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and as always, we have the star of our show, Mr. Hannes Grasher, Private Wealth Advisor over at UBS, joining us for another wealth management-related discussion, because, hey, that's what we do here on the show. We're bringing the same types of conversations, strategies, solutions, you name it, that Hannes is having with his clients on a regular basis, and we're bringing them right here to you on this show. And today, we got a great topic teed up for you. Today, we're really, we're talking about just the pure idea, really, of how effective wealth planning strategies they often extend beyond somebody's own financial situation usually lumping in the idea of charitable giving you've heard us talk about this in prior episodes well today we're really getting granular with charitable giving in fact we've got a great guest joining us today we're super thrilled to have miss nicole sebastian of ubs's family advisory and philanthropy services uh their team over there and nicole's going to be with us to share some of her insights on the matter of charitable giving uh so she and her group uh you know advise ubs's family office clients uh on effective and meaningful charitable giving strategies. Uh, she's, of course, going to share some insights with us today uh, of some of the best ways to give responsibly and, of course, strategically, uh, as well as just how to avoid making any mistakes when it comes to this idea of charitable giving, because there are a few. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring Hannes and Nicole out here to get today's conversation rocking and rolling. Hannes, Nicole, good to see you guys. Hi, Ryan. Hello, it's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you guys with us today and uh, excited for a good a good conversation. Hannes, you and I, we've chatted about this idea of charitable giving in some, in some prior episodes, but today we're going to get knee deep into it. Um, Hannes, let's kick things off. I'll throw this first question over to you. Would you say that charitable giving, is it a topic that many of your clients or, or even prospective clients are asking you about these days? Like how much of an interest are you seeing in charitable giving overall? Yeah, well, first of all, welcome, Nicole. I'm super happy to have her here. She actually just walked up, or actually took the elevator up the, uh, up the, up the floor here. Um, yeah, so Ryan, in the last two years, there's really been a noticeable increase in interest um, in charitable giving. I think it's because you've had huge gains in the markets, and then on top of it, you had the COVID crisis. And, you know, it was Steve Jobs of Apple who often talked about um, making a dent in the universe. And in our experience, one of the top five key financial issues we hear about from our affluent clients is charitable giving. They want to know how to get started, how to do it well, and how to do it better. And being philanthropic is actually a big driver behind why many people want to grow their wealth. In one survey that I read recently, uh, I think was uh, amongst highly successful business owners, over 71% nearly three quarters said they wanted to build additional wealth so they could be more meaningfully supportive of charitable causes. Roger that. So, so Hannes, then how does financial planning overall fit into that desire among the affluent to, to give back to the causes and, and things they care about? I think it all comes back to planning, right? I think we all agree that the best results in life usually come from the best plans. It's uncommon or to randomly stumble into a great outcome. And so that also holds true when it comes, comes to philanthropy. Charitable planning is, is the process of making a significant charitable gift during your life or death that is part of a broader financial or estate plan. It's planning that's designed to take your bigger picture into account. And smart giving is usually best accomplished as part of your overall financial situation by considering 
the various assets you have now and, and how they're structured, you can plot out a path to results to results that are very worthwhile to everyone involved, including you, your family, your business, if you own one, and the charitable organizations, of course. To get those results, charitable planning is often coordinated with estate or income tax planning that uses really advanced legal and tax strategies and, and or financial products. Right, right. So what I'm hearing and gathering here, Hannes, is there's a lot that goes into this process because it's got to be strategic. There's ways to maximize its impact that it can make. And of course, uh, its impact that it can make on your portfolio as well. So that, you know, the question that begs to be asked is, is where, where do you begin to start taking that first approach, those first few steps towards this idea of smart charitable planning? I mean, there are so many different forms of charitable giving and philanthropy. And, and there's really many ways to accomplish charitable giving. Generally speaking, charitable gifts can provide you with a financial benefit on top of tax deductions, benefits that were put into the tax code specifically to encourage people to give, to give, right? And this is something very unique in the United States. We don't really see that around you know, other parts of the world. So for us, the best first step in a charitable planning effort is to help clients understand the charitable giving landscape, you know, from will bequests to donor advised funds, all the way up to private foundations. Gotcha, got, and we're gonna get into, you know, the inner workings of some of those here in just a minute, but Hannes says we're still kind of staying high level here. Could you explore for us some of those foundational methods of, of you know, planned charitable giving and what the options might be for someone who's like just getting started on a, on a you know, a more surface level approach? Yeah, so that really depends greatly on each person's goals and resources and level of interest in giving. Uh, someone who wants to dive deep right in from the start may be best served by a relatively complex approach like a private foundation. But in general, your will is really the first place to begin. You know, a bequest in your will is, is the simplest gift and the one that is by far really the most common among those who have already made a planned gift. You essentially just leave a charitable gift in your will and the gift goes to the charity while the will is probated. And a mm -hmm. will quest meets the personal needs of many people and it doesn't require a great deal of involvement during your lifetime. It's, it's very simple. So also a will bequest doesn't demand a lot of administrative oversight. The estate simply pays out the designated amount to the charity during the probate period. And will bequests are convenient because the assets are still available to you during your lifetime. So if something changes in your circumstances, those assets are still in your name, right? Mm -hmm. and, and your estate is also able to take an estate tax deduction for the value of the charitable bequest. Got it. So, so Hannes, let's shift a little deeper now into it. What would you say might be like a, a next level charitable giving strategy that it, you see is, is relatively popular out there? So one of the things that we've seen really um, kind of explode in the last few years are donor advised funds. They've just become increasingly popular over the last few years. And you can think of a donor advised fund as a charities that invest in pool investment vehicles. It's similar to a mutual fund. So the assets you don't donate earns a federal income tax deduction for the entire gift because the donor advised fund is technically a nonprofit then you can, at your own pace, pinpoint a certain charity and decide how much to give to each one. 
When you're ready, you can request that the donor advice fund send a check to your chosen organization. Similarly, there are pooled income funds, which are also kind of like mutual funds, right? The major difference is that a pooled fund is specifically for donors who give to only one charity, for example, to cure autism. And donors contribute securities, cash, or other acceptable assets to the pooled income fund, and the charity manages the assets in the fund. An income tax deduction is received for the actuarially determined value of the gift passing on to the charity. Pooled income funds are used to help eliminate capital gains for gifts of appreciated assets, for example, large single stock positions. The state tax liability can also be reduced. Okay, so so Hannes, I'm hearing, you know, the, the pooled income funds, donor advised funds, those are kind of, you know, a deeper level strategy, if you will. But let's get into now some of the advanced options that philanthropists and would be philanthropists, you know, have at their disposal. Talk to us a little, you know, about this level three, these, these even deeper options that, you know, can be exercised these days. Yeah. So as you move up the ladder in terms of complexity and size of gifts, some options to consider, we usually include charitable trust. And for many people with wealth and strong charitable intent, Charitable trust can be extremely attractive for planning gifts. And there are two types. Um, the first one is a charitable remainder trust. As part of the gift, the trust provides income for you, for your lifetime, or for a set number of years. And once the trust is terminated, one or more charities chosen by you will receive the assets that were held in the trust. Uh, the second one is a charitable lead trust. In a charitable lead trust, you transfer you transfer assets to the trust for life or a specific number of years. And the trust's income is paid to your charity of choice. When the trust expires, the assets in the trust are either returned to you or your estate or, your, or passed on, on, on to your heirs. And then finally, a private foundation. This is a private nonprofit organization that rece receives most of its contributions from a single wealthy individual family usually very wealthy. Think Bill and Melinda Gates or the Rockefellers. With the private foundation, the minimum amount of the foundation's assets must be distributed every year and currently it's about 5%. Gotcha. So, so, I mean, a lot of options really exist out there for philanthropists or would be philanthropists to, to utilize charitable giving within their wealth plan overall. Uh, and Hannes, we're thankful that we've got Nicole with us who's knee deep in this world on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, I'll throw this question kind of both to the next one to really both of you. If somebody was charitably inclined and they want to start making giving part of their regular, you know, larger wealth plan at you know, as a whole, who then should they really be looking to for that support and guidance in getting this strategy, you know, gr you know, grounded and, and able to, you know, start taking that first step forward? Yeah, I think uh, taking a do-it-yourself approach to charitable planning and giving is possible. We sometimes call it, you know, checkbook philanthropy, but you could really miss something important that could impact your ultimate results. And there are so many moving parts to coordinating a giving effort because of the multiple parties involved. You've got the donors, the charitable organizations, and the multiple goals that possibly are being pursued. And the good news is that charitable planning is often facilitated by an array of professionals, you know, experts, including many working with charitable organizations. So there are many high caliber wealth managers, philanthropic advisors, 
private client lawyers, and accountants who can be very useful in helping you evaluate whether charitable gift makes sense for you and which options may be ideal for your situation. And their experience can be especially valuable in helping you implement your chosen giving strategy. You know, often these high caliber wealth managers have special teams within their organizations that assist in facilitating such charitable giving. And this is really where Nicole and her team come in to, you know, and, and the role they play here at UBS. And, you know, especially given the current crisis in Ukraine, it's really time to discuss um, giving in time of crisis or disaster, which is a particular type of philanthropic initiative. Nicole, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, kind of what you're seeing and, you know, what we are doing and, and helping clients to do? Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for having me here on a very important topic. As the entire world has been witnessing, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is heartbreaking and has destroyed the lives of so many people, forcing many to flee and become refugees who had never envisioned that as part of their future or to take up arms and defend their families and their homeland. And when crises or disasters hit, many of us feel compelled to act quickly and to help financially. It's, it's a natural response. We're seeing it now in the case of Ukraine, um, as we've seen it countless other, um, for countless other instances, whether here at home or abroad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nicole, it's a great example. I mean, the crisis in Ukraine, it is heartbreaking to watch it unfold. And yes, there are so many people out there that want to lend that helping hand and, and assist in some way that they can. But on the flip side, there are just so many organizations out there. And, and nowadays, there are just more and more of these online, online fundraising efforts and, and can almost feel overwhelming at times to try and make a contribution to the point where you feel like you made an impact on the issue. How does one, Nicole, you know, make take the right steps and get started in the right way to, to really feel like they did make a difference? You know, you're spot on, Ryan. There are a lot of people who want to help and they get into analysis paralysis, right? Because there are too many options out there. And when we know that there's a critical problem, many of us want to activate quickly and help, but we also want to make sure that our funds are getting into the right hands. So under normal circumstances, we tell our clients actually to take it slow. Uh, we encourage them to start with an examination of their values and their passions and to really think about where they want to make a difference, right? Their philanthropic purpose, so to speak. And this is where we work with Hannes and clients to really uh, get into that. The next step is to then find the right organizations to support by conducting your own research, talking to other donors, even conducting site visits and meeting with the leadership of the organization that they want to support. But in times of crisis, that's often not possible. And the need in this case is immediate and urgent. Yes, Nicole, I know your team works with advisors and their families, um, sometimes two or three generations deep, and really to develop a values-based giving strategy and then really using a lot of the strategy we discussed earlier mm -hmm. uh, to execute those. Um, but when there is no time to do that and really you know, go into the advanced planning, what do you do then? It's a great question, right? Because in times of crisis or disaster, there's often no shortage of ideas or asks that are floating around. And if you find yourself with the name of a charity that you've been told is worthy and in need of funding for, uh, for addressing the needs of that crisis and time is of the essence, 
here are three things that you can advise your clients to do. The first is that U.S. charities must register with the IRS annually. And so you can go to irs.gov and uh, search under charities to find out if the organization is legitimate and in good standing with the IRS. Uh, there are also other search engines that can provide this information. Some that come to mind include Charity Navigator, uh, Candid.org, and they can help you confirm that the organization is in good standing with the IRS. And these sites can also provide additional information on the organizations, the programs, the, their mission, uh, their work, et cetera. If you receive a request from an international organization, ask them if they have a US-based uh, registered uh, entity that's able to accept tax-deductible donations from US persons. Uh, second, check out the website of the charity. This will give you some indication of the mission, the leadership, the board, and the work of the organization. And third, and this is really important, drill down on the use of the funds. Uh, spend some time reading the fine print. Oftentimes when it comes to disasters and disaster-based organizations, they might say, we're going to raise funds for X disaster, and once the needs are met, uh, and who's to determine what the needs are, right? They're going to pivot and use any additional funds uh, for other purposes, for other disasters. Now, if this is an organization that you're familiar with, you respect their work, and, and you don't mind funding multiple disasters or crises through that organization, that may be fine. But if you want to make a donation specifically, and in this example, specifically going to Ukraine, and the organization cannot guarantee that 100% of it will, you may actually want to consider giving to another organization. No, that's that's a great point, Nicole. And I'm glad, glad you brought up kind of those three pivotal things that you need to ask yourself as you're looking into doing this process. But I'm going to I'm going to kind of flip the script here on us. What not to do is another big topic of conversation here. We had mentioned that at the beginning because there are mistakes. There are things that can be done and done wrong when it comes to charitable giving. Talk to us about some of those. You know, it's really easy to make mistakes, but it's also really easy to avoid them. So here are three things that prospective donors should consider and be wary of. If the organization is only accepting cash, gift cards, or wires, uh, it's a little bit questionable because there's no audit trail there. Uh, legitimate charities are going to have other ways to receive donations via credit card portals, uh, the ability to receive donations via check. Um, and speaking of making donations with credit cards, make sure that you either uncheck the box that says recurring gift or don't check it. Um, oftentimes uh, what ends up happening is you don't notice because it's all the way at the bottom. Again, take a look at the fine print. This actually happened to me. I made a donation. I forgot to uncheck the box. And then a month later, my credit card was charged again. Second, if somebody sends you a link to a charity's donation page, don't click that link. If you're interested in learning more about that organization, go to the organization's actual website um, and conduct your own research because those links can be manipulated. Um, and it's important to also, and, and they could steer you then to a different site. It's also really important to verify the security status uh, once you're on a donation page of a legitimate charity. And this is critical for two reasons. One is um, you want to make sure that you're on the proper site and, and reading uh, correct information. 
but you also might be donating through that site and, and your credit card information is going to get captured. So you want to make sure that you haven't been repositioned to another site that can download your credit card information for other purposes. And the third is be wary of organizations that have sprung up immediately uh, in the wake of a crisis or a disaster. In times of, of crisis, you actually do want track record. You want organizations that have been doing this work for some time, that they have stable leadership, um, that understand the issues on the ground. Uh, you want organizational partners that have the infrastructure to mobilize and activate very, very quickly. Now, I'm not saying that startups, that all startups are ineffective, and in fact, sometimes they can be quite nimble, but use your judgment specifically when it comes to crisis situations, as history and experience can actually be very helpful. Uh, I like what I'm hearing, Nicole. I, I, we're really arming our clients with good defensive tactics. Um, speaking of organizations that have sprung up as a result of a crisis, I'm going to call it the elephant in the room. What do you think about GoFundMe? I knew this question was going to come up at some point, um, and it's an important one. So, so with GoFundMe, the short answer is please be careful. Uh, donations on GoFundMe or other crowdfunding campaigns are often made to individuals and therefore are not tax deductible and they're not regulated. Um, Things are evolving in this space so quickly that even organizations like GoFundMe now has a site called GoFundMe.org uh, or GoFundMe Causes, and they state that gifts through these entities or these portals can be tax deductible. Again, not guaranteed, but can be. Um, and the conservative move is, is to follow the advice that we just uh, discussed, which is if you happen to find an organization on one of these portals that you're interested in or curious to learn more about, you should yourself go to their websites and conduct your own research uh, and give directly to those organizations through their own websites. And this is where doing a little bit of uh, research can actually go a long way in protecting you. No, this is all great stuff, guys. Thank, thanks again for sharing some of these mistakes. And, and like you mentioned, they're easy to make, but they're also easy to avoid. So, uh, you know, there can be steps taken to, to obviously steer you in the right direction here. Um, but Nicole, let me ask you this then. I mean, these are all, you know, both the, the benefits and then of course the mistakes that you want to look out for. That's all fine and dandy if somebody has an organization in mind, a specific entity or cause maybe that they want to donate for. But what about the flip side? What if somebody maybe doesn't know where they want to give, what they want to give to, uh, or maybe they don't have the, the Facebook entity or the GoFundMe entity in mind? How do you best advise somebody for giving opportunities when they fall into this bucket? It's another great question. And it often happens that people know what organizations non-crisis related they want to give to. And then when something happens with such force and urgency, they don't know where to start. And there are a few places that you can turn to to find organizations that have already been vetted. So I'm not saying to not do your own research, but sometimes it's it's an easier starting point to go to a list of organizations that have already been vetted. Um, so many donor advised funds, this is a really nice way to tie back into what Hannes was saying earlier, a lot of donor advised funds want to be helpful to their donors and even have in-house teams that research organizations. 
Um, but you don't have to have a DAF in order to do that. These are sites that are publicly available um, and you can access information online. So just last night, for example, I went on to the websites of Fidelity Charitable and National Philanthropic Trust, which happen to be two DAFs that UBS has on platform. And they both have pages dedicated to the crisis in Ukraine with recommended organizations and descriptions of what each of them are doing on the ground. Uh, second, the idea of community foundations. Uh, community foundations are uh, grant-making public charities that play a key role in identifying organizations in your local community that are addressing needs. Um, and you can find a list of all of the community foundations on the website of Council on Foundations, and then find the one that is geographically proximate to you, reach out again on their website or talk to somebody to get some additional ideas. Another organization to look at is the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. They also often have a list of organizations doing work in the space. And then finally, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our own UBS Optimist Foundation, which is the execution component of our own global philanthropy offering for clients. We are the only global wealth manager that has a client interfacing foundation where we co-invest alongside clients to help the most vulnerable children around the world. And if you are specifically looking for ways to help in Ukraine through Optimus, um, you can visit www.ubs.com forward slash Ukraine relief. Uh, we have a portfolio of organizations that we are supporting that we have vetted uh, to help on the ground. And we are offering to clients and colleagues of UBS a 100% match on donations coming in. So uh, that's something else to certainly explore as well. And I think, too, uh, yes, uh, for, I think we also cover all the administrative expenses, right? For, we do for right. the UBS Optimist Foundation. Right. UBS covers 100% of the administrative costs. And outside of uh, disaster relief, we are funding things in the areas of uh, children's education, children's health, child protection, and the environment. It's our fifth portfolio, which is emergency relief, which thankfully we haven't had to activate very regularly. But at any point in time, Optimus is funding at least 250 projects in over 30 countries around the world. So we also have boots on the ground, and this is why we're able to activate very quickly in finding really great partners who are doing crisis um, crisis relief in Ukraine. Oh, man, Nicole, thank you. These are a lot of great options for, for those to consider that, you know, might not have that specific cause or specific entity in mind that they do want to give to. Great list there. Thank you for mentioning those. And it sounds like a lot of the focus, though, right now on charitable giving, and understandably so, given the conflict in Ukraine, it's it's about addressing immediate needs. But what if somebody out there is looking to to help on a more long-term basis or an extended period of time? I would say two things. Uh, the first is that disasters and crises take a really long time to resolve themselves. Uh, and with any emergency situation, there's obviously an immediate pull on the heartstrings, and that's when the capital tends to flow. But people's memories are short, and people will often move from one crisis to another. And once the headlines start to fade, the funding also oftentimes starts to go away or to diminish, but the issues don't disappear. And that's really what we wanna focus on. They often actually morph into greater needs that don't attract the spotlight in quite the same way. And if the cause matters to you, 
don't just focus on the immediate relief. It's fine at the beginning, but also focus then on rebuilding and regeneration. So if you're thinking about um, refugees uh, fleeing the Ukraine, they're going to have so many needs even once they are resettled, whether it's, it's temporary or even permanent. So this might mean eventually moving away from funding crisis management organizations uh, that are serving on the front lines to organizations providing support to those same populations, but addressing their longer term needs. So things like as, such as healthcare, stable housing, education, uh, as opposed to evacuation, emergency food and shelter, sanitation supplies, et cetera, which is what we're primary, primarily all focused on in, in the immediate term. Um, the second thing is, and this goes back to my very first point about taking it slow, conducting research and even spending times with nonprofits um, especially for larger gifts. Um, it's really the, the fun, it's tempting to make funding decisions just based on the overhead ratio. But what I often say to clients is think about when you're investing in a company and how critical, how critically important it is to invest also in their infrastructure, in their IT, in their operations, in their HR. You shouldn't consider nonprofits differently it's really important to make sure that you're also funding their infrastructure so that they can perform um, their work. Learn also about how they measure impact and how they're able to pivot uh, when things don't go as planned. And especially when it comes to uh, crises and, and, and situations that are evolving in real time, you need to know that they're able to innovate and move as the, as the circumstances uh, require. And also ask them about their long-term goals, uh, things like scalability and sustainability, um, and what is their long-term vision and plan. So there really is a lot to dig into and consider. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, Nicole, look, I appreciate you, you know, offering suggestions and solutions, throwing some of these things out to consider. There really is a lot to dig into. There's no doubt about that. And we've given our audience a lot of food for thought here on this episode. And, um, you know, so just appreciate you being, you know, a carving out some time in your day to be with us here on the show, but peeling back that curtain, giving us a look into your world with charitable giving at UBS. And, uh, we, we appreciate you and, uh, you know, your presence here on today's show. A lot of, a lot of great stuff for our audience today. Um, but a question for the both of you really is we're kind of bring our conversation to a head here. Hannes, you know, if somebody was out there in our audience and, and interested in, in the conversation that took place today, maybe they're interested in pursuing some charitable giving, uh, structures and intents, you know, with you and your team, with Nicole and her team, uh, what would you say is the best way that somebody could reach out uh, to get in touch with you guys, especially given the timeliness of of today's episode uh, with, you know, the conflict in Ukraine and maybe they're interested in, in making contribution or getting involved with some sort of relief effort there? What would be the best way that somebody could reach out to your respective and collective team over at UBS to, to get the ball rolling there? Sure, Ryan. I think the best way to get in touch with our group is to call us you can call us at 212-713-952, or you can email, email me directly at hannes.grasher at ubs.com to get the conversation going. And we can certainly put you in touch with Nicole and her team here at UBS. I love that. Well, guys, again, one final time, you both are very busy people. We appreciate you carving some time out of your day to be with us here and, uh, and provide some real value here for our, uh, you know, for our audience in the way of, of charitable intent and the, the various strategies and structures that go along with it. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having us. 
Alrighty, and look, hey, we want to take one final moment, as always, and thank you guys, our audience here, for jumping aboard and being with us on the conversation today. If you took anything away from it, maybe you benefited from the conversation, do us a favor, subscribe to the show on a, on the platform of your choosing, and then, of course, share this information with friends, family, business owners, anybody, really, that you think would benefit from these types of conversations. I said at the beginning of the show, and I'll say it again, you know, we're taking the same types of strategies, solutions, and pure conversations that Hans is having with his clients on a regular basis and we're bringing them right to you here on this show and as always we have great topics teed up for some future episodes and we would hate to have you miss out on any of those so for Hannes for Nicole I'm Ryan Ruff we're going to go ahead and say so long but we appreciate you being with us here on today's installment of Through the Wealth Lens this communication is intended to be used for educational purposes only and does not constitute a solicitation to purchase any security, insurance, or advisory service. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. An investment in any security involves significant risks, and any investment may lose value. Refer to all risk disclosures related to each security product carefully before investing. This commentary is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be officially those of UBS Financial Services Incorporated and the firm does not verify nor guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products and services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at ubs.com slash relationship summary.